Hello everyone and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Paul continues our sermon series in the book of Acts. We'll be following up in the second half of Acts chapter 4. The magnitude of the blessing given to us through the Holy Spirit can be hard to comprehend. God has chosen us in the midst of our struggle and pain to be his witnesses to the people around us. Once we experience the unending mercy of the Most High, the overflow of joy will be seen by those around us. This will be evident in our approach to charity, generosity, and community. Are you ready to live a life centered on intense generosity? All right, good morning, friends. At the heart of our church are three core beliefs that lead to three core choices. I love simple, don't you? We believe first that there is hope beyond this world's brokenness. Is that good news? And because of that core belief, we can choose to be changed by Jesus. We can trust him as we prayed into, I'll follow you into the hard places and the good places. I'll trust you. I'll choose to be changed. Second, we believe that at the heart of our faith is not an idea or a personality or a philosophy, but a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he is alive, amen? Amen. And he is worth trusting with your whole life. Therefore, the choice connected to that belief is I choose to seek Jesus first. If he's worth trusting, I choose to seek him first. And then finally, Uh, We believe that Jesus will always lead us into broken places in our world outside of our comfort zone, just like Trina stepped out. And he does that all the time. And because we believe he's bringing restoration to our community, we choose to join him in that resurrection work. Isn't that cool? That he allows us to join him. And we were never meant to make these choices in isolation. There are no Lone Ranger disciples. We are called into community. I believe this with all my heart. And we encourage you to go onto mycoastal.org and look at the small group tab. You see, not all of us are at the same place in our pathway, but there's a place for you. And I, I am the pastor of the pathway. I would be honored to help you find your place on this pathway as we move towards the fall this year. We encourage you to lean in into the pathway. There's just so many opportunities, including this morning uh, in the second hour at 1040 in the house across the street with the picket fence in the back. We have what's called table talk where we get together, build friendships and unpack the sermon, correct the pastor's bad theology All that stuff. Can I do a show and tell with you? All right. Last weekend was my grandson's one year birthday. This is Macklin Paul Dugan. I chose this picture because our theme is boldness. And would you notice how he is boldly mauling his birthday cake? He's just tearing into it. There's delight. But I also, as we were singing today, we, we sang, may your favor be on thousands of generations. And I'm praying for Macklin's generation, that his peace and favor and protection and presence would be on Macklin's generation. Amen? 
In the book of Acts, as we go through the book of Acts, we have a core theme verse. And it comes out of the context of right you know, following his resurrection and before his ascension to the Father, Jesus gave his church, y'all, a mission. But he said, but wait for the promise of my power for that mission. And can you read this with me? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, name your neighborhood, and to, and to, and that place you don't like to go to. Yes, yes, across the tracks. A lot of people thought of places in the valley, I think. And remember, every pronoun here in the Greek is a plural. So, but y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes one on you all. And y'all will be my witnesses because we are witnesses in community. Our love for one another validates the reality of Jesus. Amen? We can't do this mission in isolation. So that leads us to chapter 4, verse 23. Can you read it with me? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. You see, Peter and John had been released from being rebuked and jailed by the religious authorities, the temple managers, for proclaiming that Jesus, the man that they crucified, rejected, is the one that God raised from the dead. And it's in Jesus' name that this beautiful thing is happening in Jerusalem. Beautiful healings. Thousands of people are being restored in this risen Jesus. So what's next? Today we look at how the Holy Spirit continues to fuel this new Jesus movement with bold and generous love, even in the face of resistance and opposition. But first, the Holy Spirit leads Peter and John back to their home base. That's their growing Jesus family, where they report all that happened since that healing at the beautiful gate in the temple. And friends, we all need a home base, a faith community that we, we can withdraw to and refuel with. Amen? We were never meant to face adversity alone. I wonder, what is your spiritual home base where you get refueled. Chapter 4, verse 24, when they, the com their community, their church family, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. When under pressure, what's the first thing the church does? Yeah, I love the word translated. You're going to have to put up with some more Greek this morning, I'm sorry. The word translated for together here, it really is, this word is lost in the English, but it's homothumadon. Two Greek words, homu, one, thumos, which means fire or passion. The church was praying with one passion. That's the word there. By the way, did you hear about the church that was able to all fit in one Honda sedan? It was the first time they were all together in one accord. 
You clapped too early. You messed up, messed up my timing. It was the first time for the digital congregation that they were all together in one accord. Thank you. The church prays in one accord with a single passion, and we get a glimpse into this passionate prayer meeting. But can we just pray right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, you're so present here as we sang the good news of the gospel and heard the stories. Trina's step of faith and blessing her friend at work, and we're just so aware. And we just want to say more, Lord. More, Lord. Come in your kingdom liberating love. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So they prayed, Sovereign Lord, you made heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's a good place to start your prayers, by the way. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Quote, why do the nations rage? By the way, the, the word means snort. And the peoples plot in vain with their silly schemes. The kings of the earth rise up. And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his Holy One. Note how their prayers begin with praise and adoration by anchoring their prayers in the story of God. Sovereign Lord, you are creator and Lord of the whole universe. And then they allow their prayers to be shaped by scripture, specifically the Psalms. And this is not the first time that God's people in Acts have been shaped by the Psalms. We saw that last week. As Peter used Psalm 118 as the heartbeat of his defense before the council. You see, the Psalms were the prayer book of Israel, of our Lord Jesus, of the early church, and have been given to the people of God for 2,000 years as a prayer language. The Psalms give voice to every part of human experience, the high highs and the low lows and everything in between. If the book of the Psalms were a great mansion, each room in the mansion represents a different genre or style of prayer. There's the, the room with the praise Psalms and the lament Psalms and the thanks Psalms and the wisdom Psalms and the trust Psalms and the sacred history. You can make your home in any of these rooms, friends, depending on where you are in your life. The Psalms are the honest and earthy words of God's people, which have become part of God's words to us, and which we in turn can pray back to God. Is that cool? The words of God's people became God's word to us, which we pray back to God. That's unique. They have changed my life. The Psalms give us, give me permission to be fully human in the presence of God, expressing the whole breadth of human emotion. And most of all, I've found personally, the Psalms let me know that I am not alone. For thousands of years, people have prayed these same prayers as I'm praying right now. And that's powerful to know you're not alone, amen? If the Psalms are a mansion, the entryway or the pavilion is formed by two great pillars, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 is this amazing prayer of wisdom. And Psalm 2, 
psalm used here by Peter is a prophetic royal psalm. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates the opening words of Psalm 2. Why the big nose? Noise. <laughs> the big nose. I was thinking about the snort part. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth, Earth's leaders push for position. Potentates meet for summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Peter and John's home base community praise this psalm into their own life, starting with the story of Jesus. They go in verse 27 saying, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. And now they're at it again, Lord, resisting the healing work of your anointed one. Friends, anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach. What's that sound like? From which we get Messiah. And Mashiach, when it's translated into the Greek, is Christos. What's that sound like? Christ. Christ, Messiah, anointed one. These are all the same royal titles for King Jesus, friends. So why do humans band together to resist King Jesus? Because this king is a threat to all our own little kingdoms. From our rebellion in the fall, in the garden, this has been the human project to busy ourselves pushing and plotting for position, building our own little kingdoms, crafting our own little self-salvation projects, and denying God's rightful rule in our lives and world. But God still wins. Even though the religious and secular authorities rejected God's Messiah, God's plans were not thwarted. He took the rejection upon himself and turned it around for good. It's like a holy jujitsu. He turned the rejection around for the salvation and the healing of the world. Is that good news? This is the God of our Lord Jesus. And the resurrection of this crucified king validates his authority over the whole universe. Psalm 2 goes on, if you read it in context, the one enthroned in the heavens laughs as he thinks of all those Messiah deviers saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, to his Messiah, the Father, says, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the, the ends of the earth your possession. These words sound familiar. You are my son. Have you heard those before? We heard that at Jesus' baptism. We heard that at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son. The Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. <laughs> the Father has given all authority to his son and life is good when we acknowledge his liberating authority in all of our lives. Amen? That's when life is best. Church continues in verse 29. Read it with, let's pray this with them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
wow, this is not the prayer you'd expect. When I'm under pressure, when I'm facing rejection, I typically pray for protection, for safety, and for defeat of my enemies. I pray for a way out from under the pressure. When my dreams or callings hit a wall of resistance, I send out, you know, a prayer chain. Uh, and that is basically for relief. Isn't that our typical prayer request? Relief. I'm tempted when I feel my dreams and callings hit a wall of resistance to get discouraged or defensive or critical of others or of myself. Anybody like me? I'm tempted to circle the wagons and withdraw in self-protection or self-pity or to second-guess my calling. Anybody do that? But how does the church pray under pressure? Well, first, they honestly lay before the, the challenges they're facing. They say, consider their threats, Lord. This reminds me of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings when he received a threatening letter from the commander of the most brutal army known to the Middle East, the Assyrian army. What did he do with that letter? Does anybody remember? He went into the temple and laid the letter out before Yahweh and said, Look! <laughs> Friends, you can lay your letters out before the Lord. You can describe the threat to him. And then the church prays a bold prayer. More, Lord. Give us more boldness, not relief. More healings, not play it safe. More signs and wonders through the name of your servant. They prayed, stretch out your hand. This is phrased as a hyperlink to the Exodus story when Yahweh said to Moses, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with signs and wonders. After that, Pharaoh will let my people go. The church is actually praying right here. More, Lord. Stretch out your hand and bring more Exodus freedom right here in Jerusalem, right now. And we can pray the same more Lord prayer right here in the five cities. Amen. Stretch out your hand, Lord, and bring liberation. In the middle of the Lord's prayer is a bold, subversive prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in Believers from the 16th century Reformation in Germany, I got a chance to go to Wittenberg this summer where it all kind of started. They restated this kingdom come prayer with these amazing words. When we pray your kingdom come, what are we praying? Actually, they said we are praying, Father, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Is that a bold prayer? Would you like to pray it with me? Okay, I will go phrase by phrase. Father, rule us by your word and spirit. In such a way that more and more we submit to you. 
Keep your church strong and add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force that revolts against you. And every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Oh, I love this bold prayer. It gives me language when I need to welcome King Jesus into a situation. Last week we explored the question, what do you let silence your witness? Do you guys remember some of those things that block our boldness? I'm not knowledgeable enough. I need to get my act together first. You guys remember these? I fear rejection by my friends or family or... Some really honest people say, I'm actually not so sure I believe, but I want to. But the early church couldn't be silenced, friends. Why? Because they prayed bold prayers and the Holy Spirit answered. Will you read this with me? Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Another translation says, with fearless confidence. Tom Wright, one of my favorite authors, says, the church needs to learn in every generation what it means to pray with confidence like this. Amen? We don't, know, we don't go looking for persecution, but when it comes, in whatever form it comes, it sends us back to the scriptures and casts us upon God's mercy and power. The church needs over and over and over again that sense of God's powerful presence shaking us up, blowing away the cobwebs, filling us with the Spirit, and giving us that same boldness. And that's from an Anglican, guys. The Holy Spirit not only brings boldness, healing, signs, and wonders. He creates a community of radical generosity. Can you read verse 32 with me? All the believers would have one heart and mind. Not one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Or another translation says they had everything in common. In koine, from which we get koinenia, koine, in common. The Holy Spirit changes our relationship with our stuff. When we are full of the Spirit, we don't operate from a place of scarcity, but from abundance. Amen? We recognize that none of our possessions belongs to us. We are mere tenants. God owns it all. We are just royal stewards of God's abundance, just as we are called to in Eden Therefore, we are freed up to be generous. The Holy Spirit helps us move beyond individualism, which says it's all about me, that American gospel, to interdependence. It's all about we. The Spirit always moves us into generosity and community, two qualities that I think we desperately need in the world today. With great power, I love the Greek, mega dunamis, The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I love this verse because it's so un-American. <laughs> it challenges us. We tend to skip these verses. Oh, that was just for the first century. You see, people were selling their stuff on Jerusalem Craigslist and giving the funds to change for a dollar. Some members of this new Jesus movement were even selling extra property on Zillow and dropping off the checks with the apostles for distribution among the needy. This was what the original temple was supposed to be, a center of joyful and bold prayer, abundance, generosity, and healing. But that center had shifted to this new community of Jesus followers, the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Look around. You're looking at the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look around. That may be scary to you when you look around. Friends, this is happening right here in Grover Beach. This is the reason we renamed Rob Coghill's job title from Minister of Facility and Finance to Chronicler of Miracles. Rob and his assistant, his new assistant, Johanna Jones, whom we affectionately call Second Chronicles, <laughs> get a front row seat to chronicling generosity every week. We're going to talk about this a little more. But what's the source of all this generosity? Look back at verse 33. What's the source? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. The, the Greek word is great grace was upon them. Mega charis. Mega charis. We heard about mega dunamis. This early community was a community of homothumadon, one passion. Mega dunamis, great power. And mega charis, great grace. Friends, abundant grace always leads to abundant generosity. When I realize that I don't own or deserve anything I have, I can freely give it away to others. Does that make sense? There's two things. If we say Jesus is Lord, he's not a Lord of these two things, then what is he Lord of? If he's not Lord of this and this, what is he Lord of? This is a good time for an amen. My attention, my time, and my resources? If he's not Lord of these, what is he Lord of? You see, grace frees me up. It liberates me to give. The phrase, there were no needy persons among them, is a hyperlink, again, to the larger story of God. This is a hyperlink to Deuteronomy 14 and 15. God is seeking to connect the early community of Jesus' followers with the covenant community of Israel. It's an amazing passage. In Deuteronomy, God is teaching his Exodus-saved people how to live in covenant with himself, with one another, and with those in need. So he gives them rhythms of grace and generosity. 
One rhythm is the yearly tithe. When they collect a tenth of all their produce from the year and bring it to the temple. And what do they do with it? They have this grand feast in the Lord's presence. A big old party. And every third year, the whole tithe is used to provide an extra feast for those who are economically fragile, the Levites, the fatherless, the widows, and the migrants, that the whole feast would be for them. My dream is that we would host a mega change for a dollar celebration feast every third year, inviting everyone who's received a change for a dollar gift to a huge party to be our guests, funded by our tithes and offerings. Would that be fun? That would be very biblical, too. But there's more. Deuteronomy 15 says God's people are called to a special Sabbath year celebration. At the end of every seventh year, God's people were to push pause on their whole economic and social system and get this. All debts were canceled. All slaves were set free and the land was given a year to fallow and rest and be restored. And the reason for all of this, Deuteronomy 15.4 that there need be no poor among you. The same phrase that's used to describe the covenant community in Acts 4. This ethic of radical generosity is such a powerful sign and wonder. Talk about signs and wonders of God's grace to this watching world. Listen to the Apostle Paul speaking to the affluent Christians in Corinth. He's appealing to them by comparing their lack of generosity with the poor churches in Macedonia. How's that for a little bit of leverage? And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Remember, grace. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in change for a dollar. The big change for a dollar was that the the Greek churches, the Gentile churches would bring a huge change for a dollar to the poor in Jerusalem, the poor believers in Jerusalem, as a witness of the power of the reconciliation of the gospel. That's what Paul was up to. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. So we urge Titus to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. Since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, all those spiritual gifts. See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Is that gospel? Friends, this is our new identity in Christ. We are grace-shaped, bold givers. I've been on the receiving end of grace. Have you in your life? Uh, Surprising. So many. I could share... But I was thinking, what's a story I can share that had the most impact on shaping my life? Between my sophomore and junior year of college, I was invited to join the Continental Orchestra. 
This is a traveling group that backed up a Christian vocal ensemble, scheduled to do 88 concerts across the US, Holland, England, and Wales. 88 concerts in three months. Most of the players for, were from Juilliard, Berkeley School of Music, Indiana, and North Texas State. If you know anything about those are top music schools in the whole nation. I was so humbled to be invited. The challenge was this. We all needed to raise our own funds for the trip. I had never had to fundraise before. I detest fundraising. I find it quite intimidating. And on top of that, my family and friends are not that, were not that well off. As rehearsal camp is getting closer and closer and closer, I was significantly short on my goal, about $700, which in 1978, one of our last recessions, was a lot of money, especially for a poor college student. The deadline passed, and I was getting very discouraged. One night, a friend in the dorms knocked on our door, it was late, saying I had a call from my mom. Back then, they had these artifacts called payphones <laughs> in dorms, and none of the rooms had phones. We didn't have any cell phones. And so uh, mom says, Paul, Martha, a friend of our family, just sent us a check. She said God was leading her to give her full tax refund to our family, believing we needed it. Mom asked, so how's your support raising coming? Because it's $700. Martha didn't know anything about my mission. I just started yelling hallelujah around the dorms. I think I woke everybody up. Friends, that summer was a defining moment in my life. It was a pivotal moment. I knew God had provided for me to go, and it shaped my, my calling, my identity. You see, Martha's grace-filled generosity changed my life. And a much more recent story, I don't just want to tell old stories. This is from Monday. This past Monday in staff, we were praying on this passage in Acts 4 together, thanking God for his great grace, his mega charis on our congregation right now, and for your amazing generosity. And like the early church, we risked praying bold prayers, more Lord, <laughs> more boldness, more healing, more grace in the name of your son. The next day, our chronicler of miracles, a.k.a. Rob, told me that the church received an anonymous gift designated for the deacons for helping members in need. It was $10,000. God's grace. Friends, many, many people are getting squeezed economically right now, especially here on the Central Coast, with the rising cost of food and rent and fuel and you name it. And now you may not be able to give $10,000 to the deacons or change for a dollar. You may not be able to sell a piece of property and give the funds away, but you can give up a latte each week for the next month and redirect those $25 to the change for a dollar. Or pause a digital subscription. Can I, can I meddle? <laughs> what kind of funds would you free up? 
or sell something on Craigslist that just sits in storage, something you no longer need or use, thus freeing up funds to bless someone in need the way Martha blessed me. It could change their life. Amen? You could become someone's answer to prayer, someone's son of encouragement. I love the way Luke closes chapter 9, chapter 4, with a case study. His name is Barnabas. Can you read it with me? Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles call Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, Joseph's life had been so touched by God's grace that the church gave him a new name, son of encouragement. Through his big-hearted generosity, as we go through, actually you're going to see this, Barnabas became one of the most significant bridge builders in the mission of Jesus. Friends, there's no scarcity in power, in grace, in our risen King Jesus. Amen? He is here right now. He's ready to make us all sons of encouragement. And I believe it all begins in bold prayers. These are the steps that we saw the Spirit leading that Jesus family to pray. They identified their threats. What is hindering the progress of the gospel in your life? List it before the Lord. As Hezekiah put the letter before the Lord, what are the threats? Bring these threats to your home base and get them praying. And don't just say, Lord, we pray for relief. Don't pray for that. This time on your prayer requests, let Scripture shape your prayers. Let the psalm shape your prayers. And be bold. Say more, Lord. More boldness. More healing. More signs. More wonders. More grace. In the name of your risen Son. And wait and watch. Because you know what happened next? God shook things up. He will do that. Let's pray. I want to invite the worship team to come up. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for how you breathe bold prayers into the hearts and the imaginations of your people in the face of threats and opposition. I pray that you would expand our small prayers into bold prayers. More, Lord. More, Lord. We invite you right now to bring more in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Father, we ask that you would pour mega grace, mega grace into every corner of our, our hearts, our souls. More grace. Mega dunamis, more power, more grace. Give us the courage to receive it and to give it away. To live our lives based not on scarcity, but on abundance. To give it away. And I just want to pray a blessing. We have some friends back here. Uh, my friend Toddy is going to uh, move to L.A. to teach film again at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Can we commission her as they, this is their last Sunday, and Matthew and... 
Remember our breakdancing uh, friend, Henry? Lord Jesus, we pray over this family and as Toddy goes to take up that calling of being salt and light in the, in the film industry, of telling stories, redemptive stories that shape our affections and hearts. Bless her, bless this family. Thank you, thank you, thank you that their mom lives here so we get to see him again. Lord, go with us into every part of the vineyard where we are called to work and let us live from a place of abundance. We ask this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Pastor Paul Dugan is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.